Welcome back to Zion's Redemption Radio Network. This is Fundamentally Mormon. Today we'll be reading Chapter 20 of Reincarnation, pages 179 through 191, The Case of Father Adam. It should be borne in mind that these wonderful mysteries, as they are supposed to be, are only mysteries because of the ignorance of men And when men and women are troubled in spirit over those things which come to light through the proper channel of intelligence, they only betray their weaknesses, ignorance, and folly. Millennial Star, Volume 15, page 825. Nearly every religion in the world has broken off from some other religion some from the original true church, but mostly from some other dissenter. Almost all Protestant churches have come from their mother church, the Catholic. Likewise, the doctrine in these churches usually come from perverting or changing true ones. Little deviations and modifications soon become great ones. After the passage of time, they can even become directly opposite to the original teachings. For the belief of transmigration or reincarnation to be accepted by most people in the world, there must have originally been some basis of truth for it. John A. Witso, who was an early leader in the LDS Church, acknowledged this when he wrote, quote, reincarnation, often known as meta, metempsychosis, is an ancient doctrine. It dates from the earliest corruption of truth, from the very dawn of human history, when mankind first departed from the simple principles of the gospel. We're on page 180 at 6%. In some form, it has existed at all times in all lands. It is an excellent example of the distortion of beautiful fundamental truths. End quote, Evidence and Reconciliation by Witso, 1960 edition, page 362. Witso acknowledged that this belief started from the dawn of human history and that it has existed at all times in all lands. Certainly it has some basis of truth. According to him, it is an excellent example of the distortion of beautiful fundamental truths, but he does not explain what that truth was. We know that it has gone through the Roman Empire, through Greece, all through China, India, and even the dawn of Egypt. We must admit that somewhere in ancient history, the concept of reincarnation began in truth. Spencer Palmer, 
professor of comparative religions at BYU, also noted this fact, saying, quote, it may, be well, it, it may well be a corruption or counterfeit of the plan of salvation. And that was quoted in the church magazine, The Enzyme, October 1989, page 53. If this doctrine even closely resembles the plan of salvation, all the more reason for our serious consideration and investigation. From an, ex- from an encyclopedia on the history of religion, it states, quote, Even the gods, according to the transmigration theory, are involved in the cycle of existence, the samsara, and must again descend to lower forms of life when their time comes round. Encyclopedia of Religion and Ethics, Volume 12, page 435. According to Dr. Hugh Nibley, who was a professor at BYU, this doctrine was taught as a part of the program of the gods, quote, but the matter dealt with, or what Walter Willie calls the substance of Orphic mysteries, is threefold. Number one, the creation and pre-existence. And we're on page 180 at 14%. The genesis of the gods, the cosmos, and me. Number two, the fall of man and its necessary retribution. And three, his ultimate destiny and goal expressed in the pyth... I'm sorry, this is a really hard word for me to say. Pythagorean and Orphic traditions in the doctrine of transmigration of souls. These will be readily recognized as three great eschological themes of past, present, and future as they are clearly set forth in the Egyptian Book of the Dead. And that was Hunibli. As stated in his book, The Ancient State, page 321. However, Dr. Nimbly went on to explain that the Egyptians did not believe in the same reincarnation or repetition of births into mortality as taught today. And from another Egyptologist comes a similar statement, quote, During these millennia, the dynasties of Pharaoh had developed in the symbolic terms of the evolution of of the royal principle or godhood in the individual. Of this, the Pharaoh himself was the prototype. And that comes from the opening of the way of Isha by Ludwig's page five. And still another professor of Egyptology, Dr. S. Morens, made similar observations about the Egyptians, quote, The gods are thus individual persons defined and characterized by their form and name. In this respect, they are like human beings, like men. The gods are created, and what is more, they are created by by a primordial god. Egyptian Religion by Moritz, page 24. He noted other similar statements, quote, These creatures are either male or female, since they are persons, 
often called father or mother, and are related to man by the act of creation. Page 26. One point needs to be emphasized in conclusion. The cosmic deities are as a rule holy in human, uh, holy in human form. Page 31. And that they go from an incarnation and thence to a father-son relationship. Page 30. Through an incarnation of deity, and we're on page 182 at 23%, if you're reading along. He ceased... Well, let me just read this again. Through an incarnation of deity, he ceased to be God in the full sense of the word. Page 37. Those who believe that Michael... Michael the Archangel, the one who became our father uh, as Adam. Those who believe that Michael, in his progression as a god, became Adam, the first man on this earth, will see a similarity to what the Egyptologists are saying. One of the major books on reincarnation, coming back, has emphasized that man has an origin with God. There is a bona fide method for the attainment of spiritual perfection by the spiritual spark of soul. And if he is properly guided, he is very easily sent back home, back to Godhood, Godhead, from where he originally fell. And that comes from uh, that book on page 46. History clearly points to the doctrine that the gods participated in the form of rotation from heaven to earth and back again. The descent of gods into mortality and then returning to their former position has also come from the oldest known sacred records in India. For example, from the research of the Hare Krishna re- uh, reincarnationalists come the following, quote, the Vedas of India, so the Vedas are religious books in the Hindu tradition. The Vedas of India record the most astounding events in the entire history of the world. The descent of God himself into, the, into this universe to deliver the transcendental knowledge for the benefit of all human beings. And that comes from the incarnation of the Godhood, our Godhead, Page 9. In a personal interview with some of their leading authorities, the the author learned the following basis of that belief. God is exalted and perfect, but he can come back into mortality. However, he he does not come down as we do into a world of sin, weakness, and temptation. He is like a bright gem that comes down into a mud puddle, but the mud does not affect him. With a slight rinse, he is clean. He is as clean as before. Page 183, 31%. However, we come down and are affected by the dirt and absorb the mud. So, however, we, as mortal beings, We come down and are affected by the dirt and absorb the mud. We must continually try to rinse ourselves to be clean like he is. But it'll take a long time to become like God. God is perfected and we strive to become like him.
we respect his high and holy position because we are on a set or on such a lower level. But after we become as he is, then we are on a familiar basis with him, a familiar, a fam, uh, familiar basis with him. We respect the president of the United States and honor him by the name of president, but his to his friends surrounding him, they may say, George or Bill, would you pass the toast? God is still our God, but we become like he is. We act like him and we are familiar with him like we get to that point. That's what he's saying. From the Jewish Kabbalah, a similar theme has emerged. It is recorded that Adam too figures in this plan of the four worlds. In the first world, we find him as an upper heavenly man, the archetype not only of the form to follow, but of man himself. And that comes from Kabbalah, the book Kabbalah, by Charles Ponce, pages 70 and 71. These four worlds are four different stations or conditions which Adam stepped down through and they compose the universal man, the Animus Monday. In this theme, his brain is located in the first world, his heart in the second world, his breath in the third world, and his genitals in the fourth world. And that comes from that same book, Kabbalah. The theosophists who have studied ancient records also confirm that mortal that mortals become gods and will eventually return into mortality. So this word, theosophist, I'm going to get the dictionary definition of it. In the New Oxford American Dictionary, Theosophy, it's a noun, any number of philosophies maintaining the knowledge of God may be achieved through similar ecstasy, direct intuition, or special individual relations, especially the movement founded in 1875 by the Theosophical (laughs) Society by Helena Balvinsky and Henry Steele occult uh i guess he was he lived from 1832 to 1907 uh and the origin of that word comes from the mid uh mid 17th century from medieval latin theosophia from late late greek from theosophos uh wise concerning god and theos god sophi wise so that is one definition in the Oxford Dictionary of English. That word means any number of philosophies maintaining that a knowledge of God may be achieved through spiritual ecstasy, direct, which means basically direct revelation, direct intuition, or special individual relations, especially from the movement founded. Okay, and it's the same. Anyway, that's just one of those words that it's fun to look up because it's not a common word that we go through. Anyway, uh, continuing on, the theosophist 
who have studied ancient records also confirms that mortals become gods and will eventually return into mortality. By far the greatest help to involvement are the masters. At, basically, what they're saying is the greatest help for mankind are the exalted ones. That's why, like Gabriel, who is an archangel, came to help. That's why Michael, who is an archangel, came to help. Raphael, an archangel, came to help. Uh, these are the exalted ones who come onto earth. Jesus was one of them. Who came to help mankind. Anyway, by far the greatest help to involvement are the masters or the exalted ones. These are spiritual giants, men and women who have progressed far beyond the human race, who no longer need need to incarnate, but who do so in order to aid the struggling race. Sorry, this is hitting me hard. There's so much truth in this. But, you know, Joseph Smith understood these things, but he said anytime he tries to present something like this, that the saints will shatter like glass because they can't handle anything but their, their traditions, their basic traditions. And... You know, this goes along with, um, I've tried many times, Joseph Smith would say something to the effect of, I've tried many times to get into the heads of the saints, the deeper mysteries of God, but it has been like trying to split hemlock knots, which is the hardest of wood. <laughs> with a corn, with a corn dodger for a wedge or a maul, and a pumpkin for a beetle or a hammer. And I think the reason why I'm so moved by this, but also but also upset by this, is because I wish that people understood these things. I understand it because God has revealed these things to me. When I told him before I met the missionaries, if he would heal me and show me the truth, I would serve him for the rest of my life. I had just tried to commit suicide and I was trapped in drug and alcohol addiction. And he sent Elder Bowman and Elder King to me in Layton, Utah. And when I asked God if Joseph Smith was a true prophet, the Holy Spirit burned through me like hot oil that went through my whole soul and completely cleansed me of all my drug addictions, all of my alcohol addictions. It made me into a different person 
And I heard a multitude of, of the host of heaven singing praises to God. It was profound, a profound experience. That's one of the reasons why I could never reject that Joseph Smith is a prophet, even though he may not have been perfect, even though there may have been controversy around him, um, maybe some of which is true, maybe none of it's true. I don't know, but do you know what I do know? I do know that he was a prophet of God, a true prophet of God. And I completely devoted my life to serving God at that point. That was in 1996. In 1997, I got my endowments and I went on my on my mission. And I was sick my entire mission. I was deaf for the first part of my mission because of a, um, an infection in my ears. The infection went into my lungs and eventually one of my lungs collapsed. And even though I was sick my entire mission, I strived to serve God. My last two areas, I had to be put with two other elders so that, you know, I'd be the third person uh, one time it was with uh, it was with zone leaders, and I had to use a cane to walk around, and we had a car. So, but it was difficult for me. And finally, they sent me home in the spring of '98. So I was on my mission for 11 months. And I felt so bad that I couldn't finish my mission. And when I went home, my mom allowed me to stay in a trailer in their driveway. I was only allowed to come into the house to to take a shower or to go to the bathroom. And... Um, I was treated by four different doctors, and over the course of 30 days, um, one of the doctors wouldn't release me to go back on my mission, but the other three had. And I was only allowed to stay at my, my mom's and my stepdad's house for 30 days, and then I had to, to leave. And I wasn't ready to go back on the mission because I was still sick. But they didn't care. Um, by the way, I don't talk to my mom anymore uh, because of that circumstance and many others kind of like it. But um, I went to live with my sisters. Um, they had an apartment. And... Um, I was released from my mission, which was a huge, devastating blow to me. And that made me double down on my efforts to learn more and become a better missionary. 
Now, I had had my Class A CDL since 1995, so I had it still, and I've had it ever since. And um, I didn't have anywhere to go other than my sister's place. So I became an over-the-road truck driver. And I spent every waking hour either listening to audio tapes, general conference, anything I could get my hands on at Deseret Book or Siegel Book and Tape or the Church Distribution Center. Um, And lots of books. And I spent years on the road studying and uh, doing missionary work all around North America. So much so that my stake president, the same one that released me from my mission, set me apart as uh, a stake missionary. And in the blessing, when he set me apart, he set me apart to be a missionary and my area was North America. I can't remember exactly how he put it, but it was North America. And as I was alone as a semi truck driver from 1998 till 2003 when I came off the road and started doing local work, I learned so much from God. I studied so much. I used to listen, so I had all of the scriptures on um, audio cassette, and I would take one out, and I would play it, and my tape rec- or my tape deck in the truck. Because this is back in the 90s. It would play one side and it would flip it and play the other side and flip it. And I would just listen to the same tape for hours and hours. Just listening and thinking about things and praying to God. And um, then I would take it out and I would put a, a tick mark on it. And I'd put it back in the case and I would get the next one. And I worked my way through the scriptures, all of the scriptures this way listening to the scriptures like I can't remember seven eight nine times like all of them seven eight nine times and that was just as I was driving I would read the scriptures too and I would read um whatever I could get my hands on lots of books and uh it was kind of funny because like I wouldn't I wouldn't talk to a lot of people unless I was stuck somewhere and then I would talk to everybody. I would, I was like, you know, whoever wanted to talk about religion, I was ready to talk to them. And like, I had been a Baptist and before I was Baptist, well, no, that's not true. After I was Baptist, um, I started studying with Tibetan Buddhists in a, a Tibetan Buddhist temple that is in Layton, Utah, and I can't remember. I think it's Gordon Avenue in Layton, Utah. 
and um, like I would study all these different religions because I wanted to understand what they believed and how I could better serve them as a representative of the truth of Jesus Christ. But I would I would listen to the scriptures so much that um, that I would start speaking in Victorian English or King Jamesian English, and I wouldn't even catch myself until people would look at me where they'd be like, "Why are you talking like that?" And I'm like, "Oh, sorry, I I listen to the scriptures a lot." Like, and I wouldn't talk to a lot of people unless I had time to talk to people. But there was times when I wouldn't touch anyone for months and months because like who am I going to touch you know like the closest I ever got to touching any anyone else was like if I hadn't handed them uh, my bill of lading I had to sign some paperwork or get my fuel ticket or something but I did talk to a lot of people but um my whole goal was to be the best servant the best missionary for God that I could be because I told him if he would heal me and show me the truth I would serve him for the rest of my life and the reason why I understand so many of these concepts is because I studied so much for so long from 1998 to 2003 I had no home I had no address I was an over the road truck driver and I went to many cities all throughout North America I traveled and I I went to museums and I went to like Broadway plays and Times Square and a lot of historical sites throughout the country. Back then they didn't have Ubers and like taxis were only in the big cities so I'd take taxis when I could. I wish I kind of wish that they had Ubers back then cuz I could just call up an Uber and say, "Hey, can you take me to the Alamo?" Like, I've been to the Alamo, but I've never been inside the Alamo because I couldn't find a place to park my semi-truck. <laughs> and, uh, <clears throat> you know, that's kind of the way it was. But those years were so educational for me. And at the end of my time as a truck driver, so I was over the road from 1998 until maybe May of 2003. Well, it was in, I think it was in April that I was taken up and I saw the father and the son face to face. So at the end of my time as an over-the-road truck driver in that stint, um, that's when I had my most profound spiritual experiences. Of course, I had many after that, not so profound, but, I mean, they were all profound. 
And then I was, uh, from 2003 to 2008, I drove belly dumps locally. And then uh, 2008 to 2010, for two and a half years, I was an oil-filled worker. And then 2010 to 2012, I did other local work, directional drilling work. I was homeless for a time. Uh, living in my car in Florida or living in my motorhome in Washington State. Uh, anyway, but, um, and then I got married to my wife in 2012. But, uh, and then I went over the road again to support her and uh, her two kids, which are, I consider my two kids, because <laughs> they were six and three when. When I became their dad. But during all that time, all of the alone time in the truck, even the alone time as a local truck driver, or when I was in the oil fields, I was nighttime emergency management. I was out in the field by myself. And uh, if there was an emergency, I would be the one they would send to take care of it. But usually it was by myself, a lot of time by myself. But that was fine because in those times of being alone, I could ponder these things and study and listen and ask God line upon line about different topics and get confirmation of the Spirit. And... um I wish that more people understood the truth that God has shown me. But like Joseph Smith said, when you try to present these deeper concepts to the saints, they, their minds shatter like glass. Or, you know, trying to get anything into the heads of the saints is like trying to split a hemlock knot not with, a, with a piece of cake for a wedge and a pumpkin for a hammer. Anyway, getting back into the reading, through through previous chapters in this book, and talking about the Book of Reincarnation by Ogden Kraut, we have discussed many of the differences between those who believe in reincarnation and those who believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're on page 184 at 40%. There is a basic similarity. The doctrine pertaining to life and end incarnation of Adam. Here is the original basis of truth that gave birth to the greatly modified theory of reincarnation as we know it today. From an overview of the beliefs of many religions and nations supporting reincarnation, many of which extend back to the beginning of time, there is a similarity in their understanding of and respect for the first man on earth. From India, China, Greece, and Egypt, we glean many similar and re respectful statements concerning that person called Adam. From these statements, it appears that Adam, who is Michael, has been going from earth to earth and mortality to mortality, and further that Adam and Eve are not the only ones who make such journeys from earth to earth. 
Even good men and women who reach God, godhood or exaltation will be going down on other worlds to again become mortal. This sounds like reincarnation or transmigration, but it is not for all ma- mankind, just for those who become gods or exalted. Um, and that's, that is Ogden Kraut's theory. Now, I've been given revelation that we all have the opportunity to put off our resurrection, that we're damned in a state of resurrection, but when God creates a new a new earth and this earth becomes a fire of sea and glass, a, sev- a celestial sphere and joins with the Shamaim or the heavens. Uh, Shamaim just means heavens in Hebrew that when God creates a new earth, we have the opportunity to put off our resurrected bodies and go into a spirit world again and prepare to enter onto a new earth and go into a new mortality. But as long as we keep our resurrected bodies, that unless we're exalted, we're damned in that state of resurrection and cannot progress. So that's what God showed me back in like 2010, 2011. And I don't think the Ogden Kraut knew this. I don't think Brigham Young knew this. I don't know if Joseph Smith knew this. I know this because God revealed these things to me. And it is one of the greatest mysteries that God can reveal that he doesn't, he makes an escape for damnation. So hell and damnation are two different things. To be damned means that you do not progress. The fire, uh, the lake of fire, that's for the destruction of the perdition, the sons of perdition and the demons, for Satan and the demons. That's not for you unless you become perdition. Or a son of perdition. But um, hell is not for you. Now, hell or spirit prison might be a place that you go for a while. But like eventually, we know that in the book of Daniel that there is a resurrection of the just and a resurrection of the unjust. And we're taught in restoration theology brought about by Joseph Smith that in the millennium, the celestial resurrection will be first and then the terrestrial and then the sea or, and then the telestial throughout the millennium and then those who like weren't even telestial eventually they'll get resurrected too um i think that modern mormon theology dumbs it down like a lot to get people to try to understand these concepts but at least they still at least they still try to understand these concepts. But anyway, I should get back into the reading. Brigham Young spoke on a great deal, a great deal on this, and indicated that all worthy men would have a chance to do the same. Consider what he is saying here. Quote. 
after men have got their exaltations and their crowns and have become gods or exalted ones, even the sons of God or the sons of the exalted ones, and are made king, uh, kings of kings and lords of lords, they have the power then of propagating their species in spirit. And that is the first of their operations with regard to the organization, organizing a world. I, I think Brigham Young had a carnal mindset because I think he thought that we were going to have celestial sex and create these spirits. Joseph Smith taught that the spirit comes the spirit comes from the intelligence, and I think he used words and back and forth. I don't know if he did that on purpose or if he understood completely what the intelligence is. Now, I don't understand what the intelligence is either. When God showed it to me, it was light, or orbs of light or orbs of energy, and he said that they were eternal. He said that the elements are eternal. He said that the laws the laws of the universe are eternal. All of these things are eternal. But that when the intelligence becomes self-aware and the the split happens, so what I saw was an orb of light who God told me that this was the intelligence. And he said, look, and I looked and there was a flash of light. And then there were two orbs of light that came from the one orb of light, kind of like a, a cell that splits. And... He told me that when the intelligence becomes self-aware, the feminine and the masculine energies separate and the the birth of the spirit happens. It's a natural uh, consequence of the the age of the the intelligence or the the fact that it becomes self-aware. And I don't know what starts that, what gets the intelligence from that from the state of just being energy to a state of being self-aware and and having its own identity, uh, becoming aware of, of its own self that makes it do what it does. But that's what God showed me. And I don't understand what intelligence even is other than what I saw were orbs of light. And when I saw the birth of the spirit, I knew that the intelligence was eternal, but the spirit has a beginning. And that um, it begins an aging process when it begin, when it has that beginning. And that God revealed to me also that in order for the masculine and the feminine to retain the eternal um life that it had as in the as an in intelligence that the feminine the masculine must be brought back together and sealed and become one again now they don't lose their identities when that happens and when i was sealed to my wife by by god by the power of god that we were made whole again that's why the women, the woman cannot be without the man, and the man cannot be cannot be without the woman. That 
um, there is selling men to men, but it's not a homosexual relationship that the men always need the women and the women always need the men. And that God also revealed to me, and I'm going off into tangents again, but I feel like this is something that you need to know. That because of the war in heaven, because there were many more of the elect of God who were female, because in the war in heaven, so how do you become the elect of God? When the rebellion happened, Lucifer dragged away a lot more than one-third to his side. Those who were the elect of God never left the side of Jesus Christ. And we went among those who had been deceived by Lucifer. And we taught them and we brought them back to the plan of salvation because they had been deceived. Those who never left the side of Jesus Christ, they qualify for higher blessings. They are the elect of God because they did not depart, because they were valiant in their testimony, and they went among the others to teach them. And there were many... Many more women than there were men. And those women qualify to receive higher blessings that they cannot receive without being sealed to a man. But because there are fewer men who are exalted and qualified for those same blessings that those females qualified for, God allows multiple females to be sealed to one man that if things were perfect it would be a one-on-one thing but they're not perfect and God allows provision so that these women can be sealed to an elect man who is worthy of the same blessings was equally yoked with them but but men like Brigham Young and their carnal mindset they turn it into something else Joseph Smith was sealed to many women and also he was sealed to men because there's something called the law of adoption But do you know that there's no DNA and they have looked for it? There is no DNA evidence that Joseph Smith had children with any of those women that he was sealed to. Except for Emma, his wife. But if even if we do find some DNA from Joseph Smith through another woman, that wouldn't shake my testimony of him as a true prophet. And so these people that get hung up on these topics like polygamy, I've tried for hundreds of hours on these programs to go over the doctrine of plural celestial marriage and polygamy and the history of it and and to explain it. And you know what? I've put it out there. It's there for people to go to if people don't want to go through the time and they just want to harp and and get mad and and say all the things that they say against plural celestial marriage, then 
you know, that's that's their problem, not mine. I've put the information out there. And it's funny because, like, even when I go directly against somebody who flips out about, uh, flips out about polygamy, I will present a whole bunch of information and they won't even look at it because they have the mindset. In a sense, they're damned in their state of ignorance because they refuse to accept that they might be wrong. Now, these individuals who want to be polygamists, like some of them, they should be if God leads them to it. But there's a lot of them, young men, and I've met many of them, and they're like, oh, I want to be a polygamist. And it's like, you can't even get right with one woman and you want to have many like you can't just go and become a polygamist because you want to have sex with a bunch of women you know that's the carnal mindset and they're like so ready for that because they're you know men and they've got their hormones and they want to they want to have sex with everything that moves, you know, that, that people like that, they should never be polygamists, but people, um, but people like God will call people, certain people to be polygamists and that's fine. I actually know a lot of good polygamous relationships that I'm friends with the wives and the husband. But um, I wanted to get to this also. If there were many more elect men than there were women, there would be a there would be polyandry. But the fact of the matter, there are more feminine who are elect that require that sealing to the man to receive the blessings that God has for them that He cannot give any of us without those ordinances. And that's why he allows uh, plural celestial marriage. Uh, many, many women with the uh, with fewer men. So, and also there is a case for polyandry. Um, and I won't get too much into this, but Mary, the mother of Jesus, or Miriam in Hebrew, the mother of Yeshua. She had a husband. His name was Yosef, Joseph. But she was also the wife of God, our Father. And God, our Father, impregnated her with the seed of Yeshua. And there was a man who God led uh, to the Ark of the Covenant, or the the Ark of the Covenant, which is the mercy seat. And like a lot of people don't know where it is. I know exactly where it is. Other people know exactly where it is. But when this man was led to this this mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant, um, he was instructed by the angel, and I think it was Gabriel, the archangel, to take a sample of the blood on 
So there's two sides of the mercy seat. One is for the sacrifice of the animals for the atonement and all of that. And then the other side was for a future sacrifice and it was to remain clean. Well, when Jesus was on the cross after he had, he had paid for our sins in the Garden of Gethsemane and he sealed that upon the cross, they put that spear into the side, into his side and water and blood gushed out and there was an earthquake and there was a crack in the ground. And that blood and water went down that crack underneath, directly underneath the cross was the mercy seat or the Ark of the Covenant, which is still there. And it's the, the blood of Christ sprinkled the mercy seat. And 2000 or 1900 or 1900, whatever years later, God led a man to that mercy seat or the Ark of the Covenant and he was instructed by an angel. Now, other individuals have tried to touch it to carry it out and everybody that touches it that doesn't have permission to touch it, they all die. Like the Jews have sent in high priests who are supposed to be like the correct lineage and they're supposed to be whatever, uh, ritually purified and all of that. And the Jews have had to send that uh, that one man back in there to drag their bodies out because they all died. They don't know how to, to, to move it. it. This is going to be like a sword in the stone kind of uh, a story when Messiah ben Joseph goes in and brings it out and they'll know that he is Messiah ben Joseph when that happens or the Davidic servant. But, but that man who... Um, and I can't, Wyatt, I think his name is Wyatt. He was instructed to take a sample of the blood on the mercy seat and he brought it to a laboratory in Israel and they reconstituted the blood so it was dried. They reconstituted the blood and dry blood is dead blood, right? But they reconstituted the, the blood with a, a saline solution and they looked in the microscope and the blood was still alive. Which was a great surprise to them. They said, where did you get this blood? And he said, uh, "He, I don't know if he told them right then, but, but the blood was alive. So they took a DNA sample of it because they wanted to know, is this human blood or what kind of blood is this? They took the DNA sample and it was human blood. But there was a difference in the blood that is one time never happened be, uh, before that or after that. The DNA of that blood. Now, normal DNA has 23 chromosomes for the mother and 23 chromosomes for the father. But this blood was different. It was dry. They reconstituted it. It's still alive. And the thing that was different about this blood is that it had 23 chromosomes for the matriarchal side, for the mother side, and only one chromosome for the father side. So instead of having 46 chromosomes altogether, it only had 24. 
which isn't supposed to happen according to what we understand. These Jews in this laboratory, they asked Ron Wyatt, whose blood is this? And Ron Wyatt said it's it's the blood that was taken from the mercy seat under the cross of Golgotha. It is Jesus Christ's blood. These were Jews, not Christians, who had all their lives heard how Jesus was just a false prophet and they're seeing his blood that is alive that only has 24 chromosomes instead of 46 and they are tearing their garments mourning because they're they've been told a lie that their ancestors have been told a lie that Jesus really is the Messiah It, his blood is still alive. In the scriptures, it talks about how the testimony of of the the blood, the water, and the spirit will testify to the truth in the last days. Prophecy fulfilled. And the Jews want to keep a lid on these things because they don't want these things to come out because the same Jews the same type of Jews who didn't want Jesus to be the Messiah because of their power and authority, they want to lie about the reality that the blood, the water, and the life of the blood, the Spirit, which is talked about in the New Testament that will testify of Christ in the last days, that that has been discovered, that the mercy seat of God has been discovered or the Ark of the Covenant. They know exactly where it is, but they don't know how to get it out. But the blood's still alive. That should not... The blood that is still on the mercy seat, because Ron Wyatt only took a sample of it, it's still alive. Just as Jesus Christ, who was put in the tomb and raised again on the third day, is still alive alive and I have seen him face to face and embraced him in the flesh he is still alive Continuing on, power is then given to them to organize the elements and then commence the organization of tabernacles or bodies. I Like in our modern English, we use bodies, but back then for some reason they're like, everybody's a tabernacle. Like, okay, how can they do it? Have they, have they to go to that earth? Yes, 
And this is Brigham Young. Sorry, like I stop in the middle of a court and I go off on these crazy tangents. And then I come back to it and then people are like, where were you at again? This is Brigham Young. Yes, and Adam, which is an office, will have to go there and he cannot do it without an Eve. So Michael took upon himself the name of Adam to honor God, the eternal father, whose name is Adam. And his wife, Michael's wife, Ashura, took upon herself the name of Hava, or Eve, to honor God, the Eternal Mother, who is Hava. And I don't know why we call her Eve. Her name was Hava. Anyway, he must have an Eve to commence the work of generations, and they will go into the garden and continue to eat and drink of the fruit of that corporeal world. So... So what is going on here is these two celestial exalted beings, Michael and his wife Ashura, they descend from their celestial sphere and they come down on an earth and they partake of the fruit and the drink of that world and they begin to descend from celestial to terrestrial. That's what he's saying here. That's what happens. And they continue to drink of the fruit of the corporeal world until this grosser matter is diffused sufficiently through their celestial bodies to enable them, according to the established laws, to produce mortal tabernacles for their spirit children. Journal of Discourses, Volume 6, page 275. And by the way, we're on page 180. We're at 50% through the reading for today, which is good because 50% is read in an hour, so hopefully this will be a two-hour program. Now, I did want to say something about this quote of Brigham Young. So he's saying that they had to descend from a celestial down to basically a mortal body for their spiritual children. Now, how did Adam and Eve become the spiritual mother and father of us all? Now, by becoming an Adam and an Eve, they become our physical father and mother, but how did they become our spiritual parents? Why did Brigham Young say to produce mortal tabernacles for their, Adam and Eve's, Michael and Ashura, spiritual children. It's because Michael was a redeemer on an older earth that we were also on. And on that earth, Michael was the redeemer of that world and he paid for our sins on that world and the transgression and the fall of that world. And we became his spiritually through the law of adoption. On that world, Jesus wasn't the redeemer. On that world, Jesus had the role of God, the witness or the Holy Ghost. And on that world, Jehovah not Jesus. That's been a perversion that Satan has mingled with the truth in the modern church. Jesus 
was God the witness. Michael was God the redeemer. And Jehovah was God the father or the Adam of that world. Jehovah in this world has been exalted to become an Elohim. He was instructed to show Michael how to create this earth. Michael did the work of creating or organizing the elements of this earth and bringing the animal and plant life here to this world. And he became the Adam of this world. And Jesus became went from being God the witness of that world to being God the redeemer of this world. And when he paid for our sins in the Garden of Gethsemane, in the fall of this world, we become his children through the law of adoption. That's why in the Book of Mormon, he says, I am the Father and the Son. He wasn't lying. When we take upon ourselves the name of Jesus, we become his children. Now we have fathers above him. We have mothers above him. Because Jesus was married and sealed to Mary Magdalene. She's our mother. Satan wants to destroy that that knowledge, he wants to say that she was a whore and had devils. She did not. She was caught up to the seventh heaven. Not, She did not have seven demons come out of her. She was an extremely beautiful, righteous woman of God. And she was the wife of Jesus Christ. And through the atonement, when we take upon ourselves his name, he becomes our father and she is our mother. The same way that Michael became our father on an older earth spiritually, and Ashura is our mother. And that when Michael and Ashura became at the Adam and Eve of this world for their spirit children to take tabernacles, we became her children and his children, both spiritually through the law of adoption and physically, because they are the mother and father of all living on this earth. When Adam came to this earth, he was returning into mortality. It was not his first time as a mortal, nor would it be his last. He had probably been a mortal man many times and would continue the process for all eternity. Now that's speculation on Ogden and Brigham Young's part. When you become an Elohim, you don't become an Adam again. I know there's a lot of people that are going to be like, oh, that's not what's the truth, whatever. I don't care what they say. I know what the truth is. I'm not here to argue. I'm just here to tell you. See, I'm not here to be taught by you. God has taught me. Like, 
I wanted to join a certain church. So in 2013, my membership was severed from the LDS church for apostasy because my stake president didn't like the fact that I talked, that I told him that, yeah, I've seen God face to face. And he's like, that's, that's only for the prophets and apostles. And I was like, if you just write L. Tom Perry, and I showed him the documents, because L. Tom Perry, and I know, I, I talk about this, so people who've never heard this program are going to be like, what are you talking about? In 1995, I had certain experiences with God, our Father, and Jesus Christ. I wrote about those experiences in 2004 at God's command. I sent them to President Hinckley. He sent immediately, uh, well, they, they, so I sent it on like a Monday. On Thursday, I got a call from my stake president. Well, I didn't know, but they meet every Thursday in the temple to go over things. So Thursday evening, I get a call from my stake president. He says, somebody is coming to meet you. You need to be in the sacrament room 30 minutes before the meeting. This individual wants to meet you. And so I'm like, okay. And like, I go there and with my then fiance, <coughs> things didn't work out between us. Um, L. Tom Perry comes in and like, I meet him and he talks to me about these things. I'll never forget the look on his face. He's a big man, and he has the cheesiest grin and the biggest hands, too. But anyway, he slaps me on the back. He says, well, God chooses his prophets because we sure don't. And then I was like, I didn't understand what that meant at the time and whatever. Anyway, so he told me after the meeting that, that I needed to go to the stake president's office and that he had a packet for me. So anyway... I meet L. Tom Perry, he slaps me on the back, says, you know, God chooses his prophets, we sure don't. I go and I get the packet, and it's like copies of my letter with um, with the stamps and the archive, two different archive numbers, one for what I believe is the first presidency vault and one for the general vault. I'm not sure. I have the documents still. Anyway, but... Um, and they believed me. President Hinckley believed me. I knew President Hinckley because that fiancé that I had, who later became my wife and then ex-wife, she was the niece of President Hinckley. Like, we used to go to church with President Hinckley at the Joseph Smith. This is a hard episode for me to get through at the Joseph Smith Memorial Building. I was friends with her, um, or with him, and um, President Hinckley's wife, and with Beulah Hinckley, who was the grandmother of was the grandmother of my first wife. 
but also my grandfather, Calvin Lichtenwalter, Calvin John Lichtenwalter, and my grandmother, Leona Adeline Lichtenwalter. He was a double-leg amputee of World War II. He saved his platoon and lost his legs and almost lost his life. He was a war hero. He met my grandmother, who was a Navy nurse at Angel Island in San Francisco Bay. She converted to Mormonism when she was 17 years old. They were both born 100 years ago this year, 1923. And she just died three years ago. She was almost 97 years old. But the, but my grandfather converted, uh, converted to Joseph Smith when he was 35 years old. And he devoted his life to serving God the same way I did. And they, because they both got a pension, because he was 100% disabled, he had wooden legs below the stumps, I mean below the, the knee, and he could walk. Sometimes he needed help. Sometimes he would put his hands on my shoulders and I would walk in front of him to give him stability. And these these people raised me. And I rebelled against what they tried to teach me. I became a Baptist and a Goth and all that. But I, you know, I had my conversion experience later on in life. When I was 19 years old in 1996. But anyway, they served seven missions. And they knew President Hinckley and N. Eldon Tanner and Bruce R. McConkie and... They were on the missionary committee. And my grandfather, um, also, he would be sent out by the church to become a branch president somewhere or um, a mission leader or whatever. Like, he served the church, but they served seven full-time missions. And they knew President Hinckley, and they knew, and President Hinckley knew who's my grandfather. Like, it's just interesting. I didn't meet Rebecca through any of that. I met her, her profile name on LDS Mingles was Smile123. And I met her shortly after she got off her mission in in an LDS dating website chat room. And the first time I ever saw her, I was in love with her. And our first date was on Valentine's Day, February 14th, 2004. And we went to this dance, and I thought it was like a young single adults dance, but it turned out to be a mid-single adults dance, and we're like in our early 20s, mid-20s. And uh, it didn't matter. We danced 
we talked. We were so in tune with one another that it was like we were the only two people in the room. And after the dance, we just drove around and talked and held hands. I didn't kiss her for a... I mean, I... (laughs) I didn't kiss her for a long time. Because I was scared. Because I was like, oh, I've been in a semi-truck for so long by myself. Like, touching anyone else is weird, you know? (laughs) But she was President Hinckley's niece. I'm sorry. He had probably been a mortal a mortal man many times and would continue that process for all eternity. Oh, I remember. Okay. The reason why I was talking about all that is because I was kicked out of the church and the stake president didn't bother to even talk to Pre- uh, to L. Tom Perry about me. You know, he was just like, he, like when I told him about my experience with God, and I told him, like, I sustained President Monson, because President Hinckley had already died at that point, 2013. I sustained President Monson as president of the church. But I have never been told by God that he is a prophet, seer, and revelator, and I will not sustain him as a prophet, seer, and revelator. I know that Joseph Smith was a true prophet of God, and I know that by revelation. But I do not know by revelation that President Monson is a prophet, seer, and revelator. And in fact, I didn't say this, but God had revealed to me that he is not a prophet, seer, and revelator. That he is a steward at at that time whose right it is to rule and reign. No, a steward who, I can't remember how God put it, a steward over the church, but not a prophet, seer, and revelator who is going to be a store until he whose right it is to rule and reign comes. So I'm like, oh, okay. Well, Jesus, I mean, God, our father, didn't tell me that I, at that time, was the man whose right it was to rule and reign. And I know that's blasphemy and apostasy to to the majority of the world, the, the church. But when God laid his hands on my head physically in 2003, he gave me all of the keys. That I am the Lord's anointed, but more than that, I am God the witness. That's why I have seen them face to face. So I was I was kicked out of the LDS church because I'm an apostate the same way that Jesus was an apostate to his church like the the uh the punishment for apostasy back then is that you, they stone you to death what did they do to him they tried to stone him to death god wouldn't allow it I've been shot at four times with guns and had the the hell of bullets all around me and they 
they couldn't touch me. One of them was only about 15 feet away from me. He emptied his clip into, tried to, to put the bullets into me, and they just went around me. The rocks that they threw at Jesus to stone him to death, they just went around him. Because it wasn't his time to die and it wasn't my time to die. And in my weakness, I at one point wanted to join with the righteous branch of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints just to have fellowship with people who are closer to the like-minded that I am. Like-minded people, right? And I was chastised by the Father and he said, you do not allow any man to place himself in authority above you. I am your head and you shall place no one in between you and I. Which I would have had to do by joining the righteous branch of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I just wanted to join for fellowship. And you know what? I'm still friends with those people. But I I was told to organize the Church of the Living Messiah and a school of the prophets, and that's what I've done. Anyway, oh my gosh. Let's get back into this Brigham Young quote that we can't seem to get through. I can't seem to get through. You've probably read through it if you're reading along. He had probably been a mortal man many times and would continue that process for all eternity on earths that he creates. This is the basis, basic thesis upon which reincarnation is founded, but with one major deviation. Adam was not born again from his mother's womb. There has to be no rebirths as a baby or going through childhood again. Again, Adam came here with a celestial body which became mortal by charging it with mortal food even though it was still a celestial body. In other words, it is like changing the contents of a sponge that was once filled with fruit juice and later changed to vegetable juice. His body was filled with celestial spirit before he descended. And that fluid, <laughs> what's not fluid, exalted beings, their blood or their veins are infused with light. When Adam and Eve came down, or when Michael and Ashura came down in their exalted state, their veins were infused with light. The intelligence is light. The spirit is light. Their veins are filled with light. And that it was charged with mortal blood. So when they were partaking of this mortal world in the Garden of Eden before it fell they were partaking of the fruit and the juices of those fruits and through doing this they descended from celestial to terrestrial which took 
a period of years. From the fall of Adam and Eve until they were translated was about 930 years. They were in the garden 60-something years. They were on this earth about a 1,000 years. Brigham Young gave many discourses in his lifetime in support of this doctrine, and it is not the intent of this chapter to dwell on the mechanics of it. But by way of a brief explanatory statement in 1873, the Deseret News reported the following. Brigham Young stated that Adam said, I once dwelt upon an earth something like this in a mortal state. Ah, multiple mortal probations. Here we go. I was faithful. I received my crown and exaltation and have the privilege of extending my work and to its increase there shall be no end. That's Brigham Young. June 18th, 1873, page 308. And that was in the Deseret News, the church's own publication. Now, let me ask you, if the president of the church cannot lead you astray, and Brigham Young was president of the church longer than any other president of the church from 1846 until 1877, longer than Joseph Smith, Longer than John Taylor, Wilford Woodruff, Lorenzo Snow, Hubert J. Grant, George Albert Smith, David O. McKay, all of them. And he cannot lead you astray, according to these modern guys. We, it's not in the program. Wilford Woodruff came up with it first when he changed, like he took, you know, took away plural celestial marriage. Uh, he took away the law of adoption. He took away rebaptisms. He took away united orders. He took away the Council of Fifty and the Kingdom of God. He did away with a lot of things, okay, which it created a lot of uproar, uh, uproar in the church. And then he came out with the statement, "God won't allow me to lead the church astray," okay. And these new guys, with all their changes, they're like, don't worry about it. We're presidents of the church. We're apostles of the church. We cannot lead the church astray. Okay, if that's true, then why don't you believe that Brigham Young couldn't lead the church astray in in doctrines like the Adam-God doctrine? Yes, it is a doctrine. Apologists for the modern apostate church want to say that it is that it is um, theories, or they'll say, "Oh, they never taught that. They did teach it. It is a doctrine. It came from Joseph Smith. Brigham Young expounded upon it." Multiple mortal probations, which is talked about right here, the church will reject. Joseph Smith taught it in the lecture at the Grove. Brigham Young understood it. 
Now, did he lead the church astray in talking about these things? Who's really leading you astray from the restoration of the truth? As they change the ordinances, oh my gosh, the ordinances, the endowments used to take all day long. They used to have bathtubs in the Salt Lake City Temple so you could be washed and then anointed with oil. Not put a dab of water on your forehead and wherever and a dab of of oil on your forehead or whatever. Like how when I got the endowments through the LDS church, that's how they did it. When I got my true endowments, not through the LDS church, I was washed. And I had oil poured. I had oil, spiced oil poured on my head. They don't do that in the church anymore. In 97, they would dab you with a little bit of oil. A little bit of water and call it your washing and anointing. It used to be that they washed you in a bathtub in the temple. And they poured oil on your head. The endowment process took all day long. They have taken so much out of the endowment. They have changed so much. And you can see it. Anybody who went to the church, uh, to the temple back in the 90s, or even... Before that, the changes, they've changed. Oh, they take, oh, we, we're going to chip a little bit here away, a little bit there away. We're going to take a little bit here and there, and we're just going to keep on doing this until it's dwindled down to something for a people with a, a short attention span, apparently. Like the doctrine that, that God the Father is Jehovah, And that his great-grandson is Jesus Christ. That's been changed. Moses chapter 1 verse 6. Jehovah is talking to Michael. Or not to Michael, to Moses. And he said, you're in the very similitude of mine only begotten son. If Jehovah is Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is the only begotten son. For this earth. And if Jesus and Jehovah are the same person, how in the world is Moses in the similitude of of Jehovah's only begotten son? It doesn't make sense. That doctrine doesn't fit with the restored doctrine that was restored by the prophet Joseph Smith. It has changed in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which is in full apostasy that's why jesus christ jesus christ said to joseph smith in dnc section 85 that he would have to send one mighty and strong holding the scepter of power so a prophet god would send to set the house of god in order because jesus told him the house of god would get out of order and it has 
It has so much and you don't see it because you don't study these things like I study these things. You don't see it because you only trust the correlated doctrine that's fed to you in Sunday school. If you even read it, I was a gospel doctrine teacher for many, many years and an elders quorum teacher and in the elders quorum presidency for not for many years with that one, but, but as a teacher for many, many years. And the majority of the people were not ready to hear what was being taught. They did not study on their own. They might read a little bit of the scriptures. They might even read a little bit of what the correlated doctrine is. They they spoon feed you what they want you to know. And then they demonize the Journal of Discourses and they demonize Brigham Young and they demonize all of these doctrines that they have covered up and that they have neglected and that they have done away with and they say, oh, he never taught that or, oh, that was only a theory it was only taught by him no, it was taught by many people including Joseph Smith, the Adam God Doctrine But see, Satan's got his claws in the church in more than one way. And you say it's the only true and living church on the face of the earth. And I tell you, if you have studied what I have studied and received the revelation from God that I have, you would know that Babylonian businessmen, or as one, as as the Father told me in a written revelation that I have, false administrators have hijacked my church. And for those of you who think that the church, the church is what it will be set in order, I'm telling you the church will not be set in order. Jesus said the house of God would be set in order. The church will fall. It has already fallen spiritually. That's why you don't see the fruit and the manifestation of the Spirit among its leaders. And the Spirit might testify to some truths that they say, but just because they teach the truth doesn't mean that they are from God. Because the Spirit testifies of truth no matter who says it. Not everything in the Bible is take is the Bible is to be taken literally, just as the Genesis story of how Adam and Eve were created. Furthermore, there are many things which are briefly described that cannot be given in their full meaning. Sometimes a lesser part must be recorded because people cannot understand the full and more complete meaning. And we're on page 186 at 59 percent. Some information is not always accurate either. According to our definition of terms, for instance, in the book of Genesis, it is written, quote, And all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Genesis chapter 5, verse 5. Okay. From the fall of Adam and Eve, he lived 930 years. 
but he was in the garden for a lot longer than that. It was closer to a thousand years. Anyway, continuing on. In fact, Joseph Smith said that he was on this planet for 999 years and a half. So just short of a thousand years. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, or the servant of Jehovah our Elohim, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. But no man knoweth of his sepulcher unto this day, meaning his tomb to this day. And Moses was in 120 years old when he died. Devarim, or Deuteronomy chapter 34, verses 5, and, uh, 5 through 7. However, there is evidence that neither of them actually died, but were translated. And the word translate and the word died, translated and died, both have a similar etymology in the Hebrew language. So in order to understand the correct interpretation of of that scripture, like all scriptures, you actually have to get it from God. Because neither Adam nor Moses died. They were both translated. They were not buried. Continuing on, do you think God revealed that? I am satisfied he did not. The person who revised these books of the Bible added that by way of explanation. How do they know that he, Moses, died? Or how do they know the Lord buried him? That would be speculation on their part, speculation of the translators, because I don't think it was in the original. They simply learned that jo- that Moses went out in the mid- out of the midst of the people. They do not know what became of him, so they supposed that he died, and that the Lord must have buried him, because nobody else nobody else had done so. No man knoweth of his sepulchre into this day. No wonder, because he did not have any sepulchre or tomb. According to, the, according to what we have learned, he was treated the same as Elijah was, not taken up in a chariot of fire, perhaps, but translated, quickened by the power of God, that he might remain as a witness of the Lord unto our witness of the Lord unto the last day. He appeared with Elisha to Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. It is appointed unto all men once to die, but some men have been translated. And it was as it was in the days of Enoch, and they will, like others, pass through the great change. I, refer, I just refer to this to show you that Moses could not have written that although it is recorded in one of these books that were written by Moses, the fifth book called Devarim or Deuteronomy. Devarim is the Hebrew word for that book. And that was written by Charles W. Penrose, who was second counselor, or maybe he was first counselor, and I think he was second counselor in the presidency of Joseph F. Smith and first counselor in the presidency of Heber J. Grant. Obviously, he was one of the apostles. Um, And that comes from Collected Discourses, June 25th, 1893. Oh, man. 
So I guess at that time, Charles Penrose was uh, probably... He was in the apostleship. He may have been the president of the apostles at that time. Anyway, continuing on. Oh, maybe not. I don't know. Behold, this we know that he, Alma, was a righteous man, and that and the saying went abroad in the church that he was taken up by the Spirit, or buried by the hand of the Lord, even as was Moses. So Alma was also translated and taken up in the Spirit. Now, I was taken up in the spirit, but I was brought back to the earth. <laughs> Sometimes I wish I could have stayed there, but you know what? I didn't have children back then, and I didn't have my wife. And I'm glad that God brought me back. Of course, I have a mission to fulfill, and I'm not allowed to die until the time is... until there. I have an appointment with death. And nothing will kill me until that time comes. But you know what? My wife and my kids, I didn't have them back then, and I'm so grateful to be able to be a father and a husband. But behold, the scripture saith, the Lord took Moses unto himself, and we suppose that he had also received Alma in the spirit unto himself. Therefore, for this cause we know nothing concerning his death and burial. Alma chapter 45, verse 19. Jude, in the book of Jude, said that there was an, an argument between Michael, the archangel, our father, who is Adam, and the devil who disputed about the body of Moses. And that's in Jude chapter 1, verse 9. So either Jude had books that we don't have, which he did, or because he was an apostle, God revealed to him things that were not known at that time, which is entirely plausible. But he talks about that in the New Testament in the book of Jude that Michael the archangel and the devil disputed about the body of Moses, Moshe. There are two basic principles involved in the thesis of reincarnation theology. Number one, that a man can reach a period of time when he achieves a state of excellence, perfection, or exaltation. And two, that gods become involved with a cycle or return into mortality. Like Jesus Christ is a God and he came into mortality. He did nothing except for what he saw his father do. His father descended from his celestial exalted throne and became our father Adam with his wife Eve. Both of these premises have their counterpart in the restoration of the gospel. As to the first, that men achieved a state of perfection, it was taught in the early church history by the prophet Joseph Smith himself. God himself was once as we are now, and is an exalted man and sits enthroned in yonder heavens. That is the great secret. And that comes from the King Follett Discourse, but it's also recorded in Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 345. When you climb up a ladder, you must begin at the bottom and ascend step by step until you arrive at the top.
and so it is with the principles of the gospel. You must begin with the first and go on until you learn all of the principles of exaltation. But it will be a great while after you have passed through the veil of this life. I'm, I'm saying that. This is, this is Joseph Smith, by the way. It'll be a great while after you pass through the veil, and I say of this life, before you will have learned them. Because, And this is Joseph Smith, Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 348. And I'm only saying that because we live on many earths. You will go through many, many probations on other worlds before you achieve the first level of Godhood. If you're a man, I'm not exactly sure how it all works with women. I know that women are exalted with their their men, but or their man. But if you're a man, if you're a woman. You will go through many, many probations and many worlds before you achieve the first level of Godhood, which is to become God the witness and the wife of God the witness. And then you will become God the Redeemer and the wife of God the Redeemer. And then you will become God the Father and take upon yourself the name of God the Eternal Father and become an Adam to a world. And your wife will take upon herself the, the name of God the Eternal Mother, Hava or Eve, and become the mother of all living on that earth. You don't get to exaltation in one short stint of human history. The process of exaltation from the flash of the intelligence when we become male, a male spirit and a female spirit until the time when we receive our exaltation is eons of time and eons of earths. This is a process of eternal lives. And it is a foolish man and a foolish woman who think that they can receive their exaltation in one short 100-year period of life. To learn all that you need to learn to be an exalted one, to join with the Elohim or the exalted ones, you have to go through eons of earth lives. You have to understand what it's like like to live in poverty. You have to understand what it's like to live in the mud hut. You have to understand what it's like to live in the palaces. You have to understand what it's like to be executed. You have to understand what it's like to be uh, to die of old age. You have to understand what it's like to be alone throughout your life. And you have to understand what it's like to have great posterity of children around you. 
You have to understand what it's like to be with a spouse. You have to understand what it's like to be with many spouses. You have to go through all of the different phases of earth life. Every single life on this earth is valuable for for learning. To grow to become like God, you must suffer the lowest of depths and be exalted to the highest. You have to live all of the experiences of mortality, and that does not happen in one world or two worlds or ten worlds or a hundred worlds. It happens over the course of many, many probations on many earths before you get to the point where you're exalted. And you know what? I don't want to go through this life again, but you know what? I'm going to go through it again. Because when we get to that point of spiritual understanding where we are shown the past and understand the future, we will go into another mortality and we will agree to the hardest of things. I agreed to come on this earth to be put with with a biological father and a biological mother who would abuse, neglect, hurt me, my father and my mother were divorced when my my dad was in a mental institution because of all of the psych the 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 drugs he was on he like when they got married my my dad wasn't on all those drugs by the time i was 3 he was a hardcore drug drug addict and I have not spoken to him in many years, but you can tell, like, even now his brain is slow because of all the drugs that he did. He allowed my mother to be my mother when she did things to me that are hard to forgive. I'll leave it at that. He allowed me to come into a family and I had stepfathers who were extremely abusive and alcoholics. As a teen, I was homeless, not by my own choice because of abandonment. He allowed me to go through all that and I agreed to it before I came to this earth because it was the plan for my growth. I had to go through these things to understand that I might be brought down to the lowest of the depths and be broken enough to turn to God, to turn to him fully. Continuing on with the reading, Lorenzo Snow oft quoted couplets that support this, as man is, God once was. As God is, man may become. And so the cycle continues. And we're on page 188 at 77%. We're going to have to go into overdrive for this because we're already at 1 hour and 51 minutes. But I'm going to finish this. 
as to the second part, that the gods come down into mortality, this has been more difficult for even the Mormons to believe. Mother Eve is called the mother of all living. She is responsible for her children and seeks to have them all return to her from this earth without valuable experience. She knew that men and women must come into mortality so they could become wiser, stronger, and capable of becoming like their father and mother who gave them life. Father Adam and Mother Eve, as creators of so many children, learned a very important lesson or reason for living this life, so that their eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Genesis chapter 3, verse 5. In the Garden of Eden was a tree of mortality, or a tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which they that if they ate thereof would make them as gods, knowing good and evil, or as exalted ones, or as Elohim. It is here established that eating from this tree would would be enough for them to know, understand, experience, and comprehend sufficiently to qualify them for the stature of gods, to the statue stature of gods. That's not true, but anyway, excuse me, we don't just like gain this knowledge unless we go through the experience of this knowledge. Anyway, Mother Eve was committed to the life of of a goddess in every way. She was the the epitome of virtue and holiness, not the victim of debauchery and carnal seduction, as some profess, this this lie uh, to denigrate Mother Eve and, and Father Adam. I don't want to get into it. But anyway, the devil was not the father of Cain through Eve. Yeah, like, oh, I hate that crap. It just goes, this false doctrine is like a snake that weaves its way around in the in the restoration it's within the church taught by some but but a lot more out of the church in the fundamentalist churches that they'll say that um eve had sex with lucifer or some crap it's a lie it's a lie straight from the devil's lips And that the fall was an act of adultery or sexual impurity, and that's just a lie. Ancient histories often speak of the honor, glory, and immortality of Adam and Eve. They teach that they descended from the heavens to come down on this earth to fulfill the mission of propagation and instruction. These doctrines are very similar to those of early Mormonism, for Brigham Young repeatedly said, quote, we have heard a great deal about Adam and Eve, how they are formed, how they were formed, etc. Some think that he was made like an adobe, because you know he was made by the dust of the earth. And we're on page 189 at 85%. Some think that he was made like an adobe, and the Lord breathed into him the breath of life. For we for we read, from dust thou art. And unto dust thou shalt return. 
Well, he was made from the dust of the earth, but not the dust of this earth. He was made just the same way you and I are made, but on another earth. And that was Brigham Young as recorded in the L. John Nuttall Diary or Journal, Volume 1, page 18. And it's also in the Journal of Discourses that talks about that. Um, Volume 1, page 50 in the Journal of Discourses. Before me, I see a house full of eaves. What a crowd of, of reflections the word Eve is calculated to bring up. You know, when I'm in a Christian church and they want to they talk down about Adam and Eve, it just makes me so disgusted. That they believe the lies that Satan has taught about Adam and Eve and who they were and what they were. Of course, Satan would do that. And it's made her way into the scriptures and the false interpretations of men as taught in the doctrines, the false doctrines of their churches. Anyway, I am looking upon a congregation designed to be just such beings. And that is recorded in the Millennial Star, volume 31, page 267. If you are faithful to your covenants, you will become as become mothers of nations. You will become eaves to earths like this. And when you have assisted in peopling one earth, there are millions of earths still in the course of creation. And when they have endured a thousand million times longer than this earth, it is only, as it were, the beginning of your creations. That was Brigham Young, Journal of Discourses, Volume 8, page 208. How clear and beautiful is the whole concept of continuing the creation of worlds and the generations of men. The basic principles of both those who believe in reincarnation and those who believe in the gospel begin with the same lofty and divine doctrine that man can reach upward to mingle with gods and become like them. And then as an Adam and an Eve return into mortality to continue their species as mortals, they once were mortals, eventually gained immortality, and then once again took upon themselves another condition of mortality. This was their great sacrifice. This was their great sacrifice so that all mankind might climb up the same ladder according to the same principles of truth and righteousness. This is the magnificent doctrine of the perpetuation of men and gods. The doctrine the doctrine was pure in the beginning, but soon minor changes deviations in man-made ideas were ideas were instituted resulting in the differences between Adam and Eve taking upon themselves mortality through consumption of mortal foods or by actually being born again and we're on page 190 at 95% and i just want to say okay so yeah there was an apostasy from the truth from the very beginning of the history of this world and every once in a while, 
God will send a prophet to restore that truth, and then Satan will attack it and chip away at it and continue to do so until it is gone. And in the Restoration, as part of early Mormon doctrine or Restoration theology brought about by the prophet Joseph Smith, it was taught in its fullness again, and over time it has been chipped away and lost to the people in another apostasy. The difference between the apostasy of this dispensation and the apostasy of past dispensations is that the priesthood has not been taken off the earth. And the priesthood, both Melchizedek and Aaronic, they do not need to be restored again like they had to from past apostasies. The priesthood, the Aaronic and the Melchizedek priesthood are still on the earth. And the fullness of the priesthood has been restored to one man, to myself. By the, by the laying on of God, the Father's hands upon my own head. And when the remnant go into the wilderness and they build the tabernacle in the wilderness, God will come to those people, and he will restore the fullness of the priesthood to them under his own physical hand. He wanted to do that in Nauvoo, but they didn't finish the temple, and they dragged their feet, and they were rejected as a church with their dead. Continuing on, and also that not just those who hold the office of Adam and Eve return to earth as part as part as their role their role as God's or exalted ones. <clears throat> I hate that word. God's exalted ones. Whenever you say God, just just think about exalted ones. Anyway, but all mankind had to return return to mortality. In their process of becoming gods, that's multiple mortal probations. That is the doctrine of eternal lives, plural. The illustration on the following page roughly shows the life course of man, illustrating the probations he takes to achieve eternal life among the exalted ones or the gods. This simple model outlines the plan of salvation as portrayed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. In brief, the true life cycle of mankind is from mortality to immortality and then from immortality to mortality, rather than from mortality to mortality and finally to immortality. We're on page 191 at 98%, so we're almost done with this chapter. And then we have one more chapter to conclude this book, and I'll get to that when I can. So on page 191, 98%, pre-mortal spirit world, mortal world, paradise world, which is pre-mortal spirit world. Mortal world, paradise world, to one of the three kingdoms, telestial, terrestrial, celestial, 
those in the celestial kingdom, more mortal worlds. And that was that speculation by Ogden Kraut, but God revealed to me that unless we are, unless we we become, um, we're destroyed, we enter into a state of resurrection, and then we are given the opportunity to put off the resurrection to go on another earth into a new mortality to gain the experiences needed so that we can progress and gain a higher resurrection. See, Ogden Kraut would say, oh, the people in the celestial world, they're the only ones. He doesn't get that from Joseph Smith. And the only reason I teach you what I do is because I got that from God, our Father himself. Who I am an eyewitness of. I am an apostle of the Father and an apostle of the Son. Did you know that when Jesus Christ was called an apostle, that he was an apostle of the Father? He is the first, first witness of the Father. Or the first, so there's a presidency for this earth. Under under the direction of Jehovah our Elohim is... God the Father, who is the president of this earth, God the Redeemer, who is his first counselor, and God the Witness, who is his second counselor. It's kind of the same way in the church. Jesus Christ is over the president of the church, and the president of the church has a first counselor and a second counselor. It's the same same symbol. It's the same structure. Jehovah, our Elohim, is over the president of this earth, who is Michael Adam, our our common father. And his first counselor, his first counselor is Yeshua, or Jesus Christ, and his second counselor is God the Witness, or myself. The pathway of the gods continually descending into mortality without another mortal birth. So the last chapter, chapter 21, begins on page 192, and it's a conclusion, a polished jewel. So that'll be the last chapter in the book of reincarnation, and we will get into the doctrine of eternal lives. In this series, working from reincarnation and what that is through this. And uh, and then this next book is a compilation of quotes and sayings by leaders of the church, even, even all the way up to people like um, Dallin Oaks. Like, the man who wrote this book... Or compiled this book called the, the True Doctrine of Eternal Lives. He doesn't want to be known. And I have permission to read this book. He doesn't want to be known because he doesn't want to be excommunicated from the church for quoting people like Joseph Smith and Brigham Young and John Taylor. They're just quotes. 
but he knows that that his membership in the church would be in jeopardy if if he published this book that I'm about to read to you after I finish, you know, the conclusion of the book that I am reading to you now that he knew that if he if he put his name on this book that some ignorant state president like the one that I had would would kick him out of the church. You know how many stake presidents I've talked to and bishops I've, I've talked bishops I've talked to before I left the church after I was kicked out or before yeah whatever. Uh, they they I talked to them about things and like, I'm no theologian. I'm like okay, if you're no theologian, how are you going to defend the doctrine when somebody like me comes and tells you these things? Are you going to study it out? And they don't. Because they're businessmen. They are not scriptorians. And they're given way too much power in their position. That if that Babylonian businessman who kicked me out of the church had done his due diligence, he would have gone to L. Tom Perry, who would have told him that I am a prophet. That I am a witness of the Father and the Son. But he didn't do that. And that's fine because I've been unshackled and now I'm free to teach the truth. And I've been commanded by the Father to be bold in my witness and to teach the people. And the majority of people will reject me and my witness. And you know what? That's between you and God. And Satan will do everything he can to stop me, and he has. And I will continue on, come hell or high water. And I might throw a fit every once in a while, as I have in the past. But I always turn back to doing what God has asked me to do. And God has asked me to do this work. And I know that they live. And I know by personal experience that their love for us is more powerful than words can express. And I say that in the name of Messiah. Amen. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.